needs to be in your mouth and in your heart. And what's interesting about this set of scriptures is there is an interesting progression here of what it is supposed to look like when it's in your mouth and what it's supposed to look like when it's in your heart. Because some people hear this and just start running off and doing all kinds of things and they need to get this principle so that each place or each thing can be rightly fixed inside of you. And so notice the next verse is actually a progression and he adds to the word being in the mouth and in the heart. Notice verse 9. That if, so he's explaining that if you confess with the mouth. Notice he said it's in the mouth and in the heart. Now he says how you do it with your mouth is you confess with your mouth. Notice he plugs that word in there before it being in your mouth, and he said confess with the mouth. Say it with your mouth. So remember, it's in two places, and he said it's got to be in your mouth and in your heart. That's just in a nutshell. But then he adds a descriptive term and said it must be confessed with the mouth. That's how it's in your mouth when you confess it with your mouth. But he didn't just stop there and just say, in your mouth, you confess it, then heart. He added a descriptive term also to the next part, the other place. So the first place is it's got to be in your mouth and heart. But how does it need to be in your mouth, and how does it need to be in your heart? Well, the way it needs to be in your mouth is you must confess it with your mouth. That's a description. You know, have you ever heard somebody say this? I'm telling you, I've got it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Does that help you? Uh, Is it? No. Maybe, maybe turn your tongue. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's in my mouth. But it doesn't help you until they say, oh, it was green. Or, oh, it, it was two blocks over. Or, oh, that was last Saturday. Then what was in their tongue or in their mouth finally came out, and it helped. But he said the word has to be in your mouth, but he tells you how it has to be there. He said you confess with your mouth. Then he says what in this context is the Lord Jesus, and you must believe. So notice, before he said the word is in your mouth and in your heart, now he said you have to confess with your mouth, And then he didn't just say the words in your heart. He uses a descriptive term to clarify how it must be in each place. Notice he said this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, He said, then you will be saved. 
when it's properly in both places, you will then experience salvation. You can sneak up on anybody and say, what I want you to do right now is just confess Jesus as Lord. And they could be on the street and you go, Jesus is Lord. Did they get saved? No, because it's not just getting it in their mouth. It's having it properly in their heart and properly in their mouth. It has to be in both places. And it has to be there on the terms by which the Bible has laid out it being in both places. You know, you can tell what people believe in their heart by what they say. Even though at certain times they say certain things that are right, they don't always believe it. They've just learned to say it, so they say it. But the issue is this, you have to have the word in your heart and mouth, but how? By confessing it and by believing it. He said, then... Then you will be, when you meet the first conditions, this answers it. You will be whatever you believe in your heart and then whatever you confess with your mouth, you will be that. You will have that. And so the two places are described but how they're positioned or how it's positioned is important. So notice verse 10, it says, For with. Notice this is even a progression further. For with. So now he's saying, you know, your mouth and heart, then you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He said, for with. In other words, these are the functions of. These are the functions of each part. For, verse, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we see a progression, and there is more, because understand this, we need these properly fixed in every area to get answers in prayer or anything. And so, he wants to help us. Notice this. Let's skip down to verse 14. He said, How then shall they call? Now, the calling here in the context is that confession. How shall you declare or Speak on him in whom they have not believed. Because remember, he's taking it further. And before, he said, if you will believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth, you'll have this. But then he said, how can you do this? Somebody said, I want to do this. If this can create salvation, which is whatever you need that God has paid for, which is healing, deliverance, provision, protection, anything that's provided, peace of mind, being led by the Spirit. I never hear from God. 
That's what you believe in your heart. You ever hear Christians say that? I just don't hear. I'm not hearing. I don't hear. It's that because that's what they believe in their heart. I can't get free. And you hear these things, it's because what they believe in their heart. And what's really cool is, there's a remedy right here. An awesome remedy. Notice this, verse 14. How then shall they call? You could read it like this. How can anybody do what we just talked about? Unless... So he's basically saying, how can you do what we talked about? It's a good question. How can we do this properly, what we just talked about? So he said, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how can that word be in your mouth if you don't believe it and it's understood by the context in your heart? Right? Because he talked about with the heart one believes. And the word has to be in your mouth and in your heart. And so when he's talking, he's talking in context. So he's saying, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe? So he said, how can you call on whom you believe? So what he's saying is, your calling and your speaking has to be directly, directly connected or your calling has to be directly connected to your believing. So he's kind of taking you back to the roots. If you're going to confess something and declare something, because see, here's where people have got all messed up. They've heard some version of this, and they went around saying everything and nothing worked, and they said it didn't work. But if this don't work, then the Bible don't work, and you can't be saved or born again because this is the principle by which you're born again. But we're going to look and see that this is the principle by which you really possess life. This is why the children of Israel didn't make it into the promised land, but made it out of Egypt. Exact principle. They said, God said, you're able. I'm with you. The land is yours. They said, we're not. They said, there's giants there. And they said, would God we died in Egypt, or would God we died in the wilderness? And they got one of the two, because that's what they believed, that's what they declared, and they died in the wilderness. Just like they said. But what were they saying? What they believed in their heart. How did they get that belief in their heart? By an observation and not accepting what God had said. <clears throat> but that being said, he... Here, writing is saying, how shall they call on him in whom they don't believe? In other words, how can you call? You got to believe what you say. You got to believe on what you declare. Not just declare it. That's why people will say stuff a thousand times and never get anything because they don't believe what they say. They're just mouthing it. They know the mechanics, but they don't do the operation. You with me? And so he said, how then shall they call on him, next part, in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe? Now remember, the calling that you do is with your mouth. The believing 
is what you do with your heart. And so he said, how shall they believe in, and we could say in the heart, in him of whom they have not heard? Now that adds something to it that we really haven't seen much of before, heard. Heard. So you could say this, knowledge or information is vital. Because how can they believe and then once they believe, call? If they haven't heard or have information or understanding. Notice this. And how shall they hear without a preacher? You could say it this way. How will they hear without a source, without an avenue? Because ultimately we know you got to hear the Bible, and we'll see this, or the truths from God's Word. But you can hear it through a preacher, and there is the place in the body of Christ where you're submitted in a certain house and to someone teaching the Word. And, but then you can read it on your own, and you're still getting something from that source. Or you could hear it on the radio, or you could hear it on, you know, a flash drive on the computer, different places. But notice what he says here. How can you hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of great things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Notice verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So notice this, and it's the understood subject that this, according to verse 14, is how you're going to get heart faith or believe the Word of God in your heart, which is one of the two locations it must be, is going to come by hearing the Word of God. What do you want in your heart? What have you been hearing? I want faith in this. Have you been hearing it? If I want faith for peace, are you reading Job all day long? Because he's got all the troubles I've got. You with me? Oh, I've, been, you know, I've been going through a bunch of storms, so I've been reading about Paul when he was out in the ship. You know, I was reading about the disciples the other day. They were in the ship, and a storm came against them, and a storm came against him too. I'm in the storm, so I'm reading about storms. Faith comes. Well, what kind of faith do you want? Faith in storms or faith in the calming of a storm or peace? So what I would need to do is find verses that would say, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. He whose mind is stayed on him, I will keep him in perfect peace. And what are you hearing 
Because what you hear, faith can come from that. So if I want to build my faith, then it can't be just generic. If, if I say, I got a recipe, I'll teach anybody, and all the ladies and two or three cool guys came, said, I want to learn how to cook too, because it's cool. Right, Jake? See? And um, men are like, I want to eat. But, um, you know, it's good to know. And I, and I just go, okay, everybody, here's what we're going to do. And I just get a bunch of flour and throw it on the counter, a bunch of sugar. And I'm making a cake, and I just start throwing it in there and just in bag of salt. There's a bag, big, throw it over there. Need salt. Flour, throw it over there. No, you measure it out by what you want it to taste like. Some people are putting a lot of salt in there. And you can tell it comes across. It's salty. Like, what did you do? I remember one time in California, you know, because I was born and raised there, my parents had a pomegranate tree in their backyard. And I went over there. And they had some of the best pomegranates. You, you know, they don't ripen off of the vine. You have to get them ripe. So if you get one at the store and it's not ripe, it ain't going to get ripe. But once they're ripe on the vine and you have a good bush or tree, because they kind of can come in both forms. But Anyway, man, they could be good. And so I like pomegranate. And then they came out with that drink, you know, pomegranate drinks after a while, you know, because pomegranate drinks. So they had a juicer, and so I'm like, I'm going to make pomegranate juice. Have you ever peeled the pomegranate before? I know how to do them pretty good, and I'm pretty quick, and it still takes time. And, um, you know, you cut the crown off of it, and then you stick a knife in straight in, and then you pull it straight out. Somebody said, you do that, and then you just skin the edges, and then you can pop it without cutting all the berries in half. Did you know that? So you can leave church now and be like, cool, I know how to do that. But that's not important, but I'm helping. Anyway, I did one, and I'm thinking, I'm going to juice these things. And I thought, this is taking just too long. This juicer will just shred and take the pulp out. So I just start shredding it. And this is the most incredible pomegranate-looking juice you've ever saw, that deep, rich color. I was like, woohoo! Ah, Yeah. So I took that thing and poured me a big glass because who doesn't want a big glass? If you have an option between a big and a small glass, you want the big glass, right? Depending on what it is to drink. But, I mean, this is pomegranate juice. So I just went, oh, and I went, oh, that, all that skin and everything that was in there, that flavor got, it was disgusting. So my sister came. I said, what's pomegranate juice? It's awesome. <laughs> Here, and she's all, ah, because, you know, you don't want just to have these experiences yourself, but here's the thing. Some people have never taken the time to peel and go after what they want in their heart and get the right taste, and they haven't searched the scriptures like Jesus did where he searched the scriptures. You know, he told people, search the scriptures. In them, you'll find that it speaks about me. And where he found the place in the scripture that said the spirit of the Lord's on, and he said this scripture is fulfilled in yours, he was specific about what he went after. 
And it's sad sometimes that we don't peel the skin off to go after certain things that we need for our faith. Because we need to hear them so faith can come. Because notice he said, so then faith comes. Where does faith come? It comes by hearing. But let me make a statement here. It doesn't just come by getting it in your ear. Because remember, this is a faith of the heart. The word has to be in two places, not just in your ears. Because here's the thing. If it automatically got in your heart, then the solution for a lack of faith in the Lord Jesus to the world would be not loving people, I love you, this is helping, I'm going to come and take your groceries in, I'm loving, I'm loving, this is helping. You know, all this social business, that's the solution. No, what the solution then would be, <clears throat> would be to say, we're, we're not going to send missionaries, what we're going to do is we're going to change this whole area right now. We're going to take up our regular tithes and offerings because we need to provide for the house and, you know, pay for the building and pay for electricity and all the other stuff. And, but, you know, and secretaries, whatever else. But, because we're about to make that step here. But here's the thing. There's got to be a way then to invest money above that that could bring just profound results if faith automatically came only by hearing. So then what we would need to do is just get it in people's ears and it would be automatically in their heart. No, it wouldn't. Because then what we would do is raise money to really impact this area. Because we could impact this area if we did this, if it was just automatic this way. <clears throat> just say, listen, everybody needs to give an extra $500. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get big speakers for everybody's car, every kid's bike. You know, there'll be smaller speakers. They won't be big ones, you know, on the bike because they'll get knocked over. Uh, but smaller ones, but loud, they'll be bows. They'll be really good. That's why you need 500 bucks. And then we need them on top of the cars, and we're just going to drive around. And I'll do the preaching. You just put in the CD, and then we're just going to play them through all the neighborhoods because faith will come. No, faith will come to your ears, but it needs to get in your heart. Because remember, the two locations it must be is in your mouth by a declaration. You have to get it in your mouth and say. Then you have to get it in your heart. But how does it have to be in your heart? Believing it. But the avenue is through the ear because he said faith comes by hearing you know, it's got to get in there and get through your mind and get in your heart. So he said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I mean, he takes it all the way back there. <clears throat> so, but we understand that it's not just hearing that's going to do it, but hearing is part of doing it. The verse before actually helps us understand. Because this would do away with let's get speakers and just impact the area by playing the gospel and we'll force them. This, as soon as they hear it, they'll have to believe. If that's the case, and when 
people give words of fear and start talking fear, then everything you hear, you just have to believe. I don't have to believe the fear reports. You out there? You don't have to believe what you hear. But that is the way of getting it in your heart. Notice verse 16. Well, we'll read 15 because it'll help. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? <clears throat> so you, to get it in your heart, you must believe what is being said. You have to accept it. When you meditate on the Word of God, you need to believe what is said, what is written. And here's the thing. <clears throat> if we're going to go backwards and believe, you know, meaning in this progression, and get down to the believing with the heart, then maybe there are some things I need to do. One, be purposeful about hearing. Be purposeful about what I do here. And then be purposeful about how I hear. Because here's the thing. If I want to get it in my heart, I've got to hear it. That's for sure. But he said you've got to believe the report. You've got to accept what is being said. That's an interesting thing. <clears throat> Notice this. If you will, turn to Acts 14, then I'll make a statement. We need to get it past our ears, or just so it's not in our minds, we need it in our heart. And hearing is part of it. Sometimes people don't always accept what they hear right away, because sometimes they're cluttered in their thinking because they've already accepted something else. They accept it a different way. And so then when they hear proper teaching, then that teaching will help them to go, wait a minute, <clears throat> that is not right. That religious way of thought is not appropriate. It seems good, but it's not right. And then as it's taught, those things are undone, then you go, I accept this. But it really has to do with your attitude toward what you're hearing. You with me? Notice this in Acts. Uh, 14. I'm going to read this, and then I believe we'll read one other set of scriptures. Acts 14. <clears throat> and we'll see this principle in action. The eighth verse says this of the 14th chapter. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb. So he's painting this picture of this city where he's going, to going. Paul. This guy is crippled from his mother's womb. And he's, he's not a young guy. Crippled from his mother's womb, had never walked. <clears throat> this man heard Paul speaking. Notice he's in a bad condition. He's hearing Paul preaching. What did Paul preach? 
Well, according to what Paul said in Romans, he preached the word of faith, believing in the heart and then acting out what you believe through your words and through your actions. And so he heard Paul speak. What was Paul speaking? Had to be the gospel. Because he told us in Romans, the first chapter, that the gospel, the good news of Christ and what he bought and paid for, is the power of God to salvation. So he gives us the principles to make the salvation active in our lives there in the 10th chapter. And so we see this working in Paul's life. This was what they preached. This is how it happened. And it says this, and really, if you'll read the Gospels, that's how the majority of the stories or, you know, miracles in the Gospel occurred. Twelve out of the 19 major accounts, I'm not talking group events, there's about 21 stories of miracles, distinct ones, but 19 of them are defined. In other words, you know, it might just say, this happened, but there's no real story to it. But the stories, the ones that have stories, like the woman with the issue of blood, 12 out of the 19 times, Jesus attributed the miracle to the individual's faith and these principles right here, what they had believed and what they declared or had acted out. And so we see this principle, and here... We're about to see it again. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. The majority of people got it that way. He didn't say it was me. He said they live this principle. So if it was the majority in Jesus' ministry, then understand this. This is going to be the majority way that people will receive today too. You with me? And we don't have to be nervous because he has given us such clear teaching on this, if we'll just hear it and accept it, what a wonderful change for you and me. What? And it's really not hard. Because you notice it didn't say you got to fast a bunch. It didn't even mention fasting. And really, basically, what he did was he took it back and just said, here is the root right here. You got to get this in your heart, then once, you know, then you need to have it in your mouth. But notice, he heard Paul preach. This man, verse 9, heard Paul speaking. What happens when you hear and listen and pay attention and accept? Faith comes. Where does it come? It goes past just your ears and into your heart when you accept it. And so he preached, and really the word always does confront the heart. The heart has to accept it or really reject it. It's interesting, you know, when Peter preached, it said they were cut to the heart and said, what do we got to do to be saved? But then Stephen preached, and the word cut those people to the heart. It said they lifted up their voice and closed their ears and ran on him and stoned him to death. So both of them were cut by the word, but there was something individual that took place from one group 
to the other. One group said, what's next? Well, now that you believe, act, declare. The next group were cut to the heart. They said, whoa, they opened up their voice and closed their opened their voice and closed their ears. In other words, they probably went, let's get them, let's get them. And that just closed their ears and off they went and they grabbed the rocks and stoned them to death. But it's interesting, they were both confronted in the heart, but they had to either accept or reject it. And so this man is hearing him preach. So he has to be being confronted in his heart. The heart is more of the deeper recesses of your will. And kind of the, I guess you'd say the, I don't know how you'd say it, the, the motion place. In other words, the, you know, like the Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's your makeup, it's your attitude. He said, this man heard Paul speaking Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Notice he perceived he had faith to be healed. Where did he get the faith to be healed that, and had been crippled all his life? It came from the message he was preaching, and then Paul confronted him. Notice he had the faith to be healed, but remember, the word has to be in two places. It has to be in your heart and in your actions or your mouth. So Paul yelled at him. He already had the faith. Somehow he got it when he was preaching. Then there needed to be an action, and then the action produced the results. Let's, let's close over here in uh, Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Remember this. This principle of these two places the mouth and the heart, and we understand the mouth is not just, it, it, it's more than just the mouth, it's what you declare with your mouth, but then it's not just in the heart, it's what you believe in the heart and declare with your mouth, then you have. And so it's interesting here that we've been looking, and it always goes back to the word in our approach and our acceptance of the word, and it's the word you need in your mouth, but it's also the word you need in your heart. Here's an interesting set of scriptures that I think is quite profound. God endorsing his own word. The surety of his own word. The surety of the things he says. The gravity of it. The pinnacle of it. The depth of it. The, the absoluteness in a way that is beyond the absolutes of anything else. It's more absolute than this earth. Because the Bible said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. So everything we see is not even as absolute as what we're about to talk about and read. And it is what gives you faith. And it really has to be this way to give you faith or it wouldn't produce faith or produce confidence inwardly. It wouldn't produce it. It couldn't. If, if his word wasn't good, it couldn't produce faith. If he wouldn't follow it and it wasn't absolute, it's untrustworthy, you wouldn't know if you could believe it and then declare and it would come to pass because it could be faulty. 
You with me? So you've got to understand this part of it right here in order for that faith to really be settled. Because faith is really an absolute based on God and what He said. It is an absolute, absolute, I mean, I mean, you probably, if there was a word you could use that was better, because, you know, we say, absolutely, I'll be there, absolutely, I'll do this, absolutely, Lord, you know you got me, and that doesn't mean always absolutely. So then we turn around and say, God, you said this, and your word is absolute. Yeah, they said they were absolutely going to be here. They said they got your back, absolutely, and they didn't. And they said, and I've said, or whatever, whoever... You're only as good as your word. God is only as good as his word. You out there? And if he's not as good as his word, then he's there. We're in trouble. These things will not pan out. So this is pretty exciting. Because if I can find out his character... And just the place he has put his word, that's what's going to produce faith in me. And um, thank God we don't always have to depend on other people's word, but we do have to depend on his. Isn't it true? The Bible said, let every man be a liar. Now, it didn't sound good because I've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, hallelujah. I knew there was a scripture to cover that. I wasn't feeling too good about it. I still don't, but, you know. Now, he's basically saying, let every man be a liar, but, you know, God is still the constant. Doesn't matter what man's opinion is, what it is, God is the constant. He is true. Notice this. You with me? Because we're going to read this and close up. Hebrews 6.13. When God made a promise to Abraham, what's he talking about? God making a promise. How does God make promises? Does he do sign language? No, he says it. He says it because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself. Now, that may not make sense, but as we read on, it will, and when we can see some stuff in our own lives, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. But notice that statement, when he couldn't swear, he, he could swear by no one greater. How many people swear by somebody greater? You know, a kid asks for this, I swear to you, my parents will pay you back if you give me that Twinkie. They're swearing by somebody greater. I swear to you, my brother is coming with the money. You give me that right now. You with me? We swear by the grave. I swear by my own life. I swear to God. God can't do that. How can he go, I swear to God? Oh, that's me. But isn't it true? 
our country talks about separation of church and state, and we don't want the gospel, but go to any court hearing, and what do they make you do? Swear on God's word. Always. Why? What are they trying to do? They're trying to invoke somebody greater to force you to be good with what you say right now. Don't they do that? Because they basically are saying, you're swearing in front of God. That works when you have God-fearing people. It don't work when you don't have God-fearing people. They'll swear on it like it's nothing. God-fearing people fear and respect Him, then therefore, i got to tell the truth. Yeah, you can see how that doesn't always work. <laughs> but you understand, they swear by the greater. And God couldn't do that. He could swear by no one greater. He swore by Himself. In other words, He just said it. Saying, surely, wow, he didn't just say this is going to happen. He said, surely or absolutely. I mean, he gave strength to the promise by saying, absolutely or surely. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently, this Abraham endured, obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater. An oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. You, You swear to God you'll do that? I do. Okay. You hear people do that? Now, I don't think we should. The Bible tells us let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you come into condemnation. But I'm just saying the world does do that. And isn't it true we always invoke something of a greater authority? You swear to me you'll give me your car if you don't do this. You swear to me you'll, you'll, you'll do this, you'll give me this, you give me a hundred bucks. They're swearing by something greater to enforce that statement. God can't swear by anybody greater. There is no one greater. And notice these statements. Thus God determining to show more abundantly, verse 17, to the heirs of promise. That's us. The immutability or literally unchangeable, unchangeableness, his unchangeableness of his counsel or what he says confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. That statement right there is incredible. It's impossible for God to lie. So if God said something, it is not a lie. It becomes an absolute. It becomes an absolute when God says it, Because he cannot lie. That's profound. So if he said, if you don't receive him, you'll die and go to hell, that is an absolute. He can't lie. 
If he said, I've provided this for you, he cannot lie. He can't even try and back it up and make it seem stronger by going, I swear to the whole planets because there's nobody greater. So what did he say? He swore by himself because he can't lie. He didn't even have to swear. He didn't even have to make it strong because he can't lie. So notice, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. You should accept that and have faith in that. It is impossible for God to lie. And we've got a book full of his stuff. And it's impossible for him to lie. No wonder faith could come to you by hearing because it's impossible that it could be another way if he said it. It's impossible. I just have to accept what he said. Notice this. It's impossible. I mean, that's, that's huge. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Remember this, and we'll pick this up next week. The word has to be in two places. In your heart, believing it. In your mouth, declaring it. And the word comes to you by hearing. Understand, God does not, cannot lie, and he even enforced it like we would by making a statement like, surely this is it. Whatever he said, and we have a book full of promises of things that it's impossible for him to lie. How could it not put faith in a person who accepts it if you know his character?